From True Africa, I'm Claude Wienitzki, and this is Limitless. In this episode, we're talking politics and ethnicity. I do think it's worth first asking, are ethnic interests always a bad thing to be expressed? Ethnicity as a way of organizing, it's basically uh, a product of uh, uh, divide and rule. Multi-party democracy since the 1990s till now, as well as the explosion of conflict in border zones, did lead to ethnicity taking a greater role in the public space. But it's not ethnicity which is the problem. Welcome to Limitless, the podcast that asks the questions that matter for Africa. We're looking for African solutions to African problems. In each episode, we're asking three guests one question that matters to Africans. And, no surprise, they don't always agree. The Limitless podcast is supported by the U.S. Department of State and the Scenefire Foundation. Ethnic groups are still often key to understanding politics in Africa. Some African independence leaders tried to weaken the link between ethnicity and political power. But many conflicts today still have an ethnic or religious dimension. My country, Togo, is still fractured between North and South ethnic divides. It sometimes seems like there's no solution. We asked three people working in the Sahel, Southern Africa, and Kenya, how do you stop ethnic interests influencing politics? First up is Evan Lieberman, professor of political science in contemporary Africa at MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in the USA. He spent a lot of time in South Africa, and he looks at how ethnic groups shape politics. I asked him, how can we stop ethnic interests influencing politics in Africa? Yeah, it's a really important question, um, one I spent a lot of time thinking about. Um, I, I do think it's worth first asking, are, are ethnic interests always a bad thing to be expressed? And the answer there is not necessarily, right? There, 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 there are certain interests and recognition that are valuable. Here in the U.S., we have a Black Caucus and we have a Congressional Hispanic Caucus. And, you know, and I think those are important, right? Just like organized labor or environmentalists, people need to be able to express their views. But the problem that you're talking about in Africa is when politics is just simply and only about ethnic control or there's this zero-sum term. Um, and, you know, there is clearly no easy answer because identities can be really deeply meaningful to people. And if they developed a sense of resentment towards others, it's hard to get out of that. But I, I think there are a couple of key things. Um, you've got to sell interconnectedness, right? So nation building can matter. Right. We need to be able to, you know, leaders need to be able to sell that or people within society who want to overcome ethnic division need to really express what's shared as opposed to what's different. So how would you define interconnectedness? Well, you know, I, I think that nationalism has has gotten a bit of a bad name in the world today because it's often uh, uh, interpreted in terms of extreme right movements and populism. But I think nation building is important, right? You know, just look at the Africa Cup that was, you know, just played. People really rallying around their flag and their country, around you know, people within their borders who who share a government and share some history. 
even if, as we know, some of the, those, those borders were kind of artificially created, um, they, they still take on a meaning just the way ethnic identities are in many ways artificial and arbitrary. I, I, think, it's, I think it's important for people to recognize themselves at multiple le- levels, including Pan-African, right? I think you would agree with me that that's a really important um, identity for people to, to share and recognize that there's a common experience and a common future and if we, the, the, the more we're at odds with one another, um, the, the, the more we're all going to lose out. And what about politically? So, you know, when the time comes when things are really difficult, um, how do you build the, the formal political institutions um, to do this? And, you know, here, I think, I think that, that's, that that is a hard one. And again, every institutional choice has its, its trade-offs. But, you know, perhaps in the case, um, you know, you're speak, you, you mentioned Togo, could take some lessons from other countries in which proportional representation um, has been a useful model where it's not just a kind of all about a winner take all, whichever group is largest or can put together the largest coalition and get the presidency. Um, But where there's a mix of proportionality and some decentralization so that smaller ethnic groups have the opportunity to you know, play important and meaningful roles in getting uh, represented politically and to govern parts of the country, but in a way that is, again, as much as possible, interconnected rather than simply a federal model that says, hey, this this area is for this group and they're, you know, just as, you know, they, they, they may as well be their own country. You know, that's not a productive uh, model. It needs to be one in which you have kind of interconnected spheres of government. Our second guest is Mutemi Wakiyama, an activist and community organizer from Nairobi, Kenya. He's Kikuyu, the same ethnic group as President Uhuru Kenyatta, but he's very critical of how ethnic groups are used by politicians in Kenya. I asked him why politicians used ethnic interests to influence people. So if you look at the context of uh, uh, ethnicity as a way of organizing, it's basically a product of uh, a divide and rule. You want to conquer people and uh, you want to keep them conquered. Uh, you don't want them coming together to build people power and then overpower you. You, you mean from a colonial perspective, going back to colonial times, or are you thinking post-independence? Actually, I'm thinking before before independence. That's why uh, you said 1960, and for me, I'll trace it all the way to the 1900s in, in Kenya when the colonialists came here. Uh, and and what they did was they deliberately made sure that they created um, you know uh, centers of influence around certain individuals uh, and empowered these people to control communities and ethnicity was one way of organizing. So all this was very strategic. Um, and then the chiefs, if you can call them that, the chiefs that then served the interest of the colonialists were the ones who even at independence, uh, had educated uh, children who took over the running of the country. So the white people, the colonialists, handed over to the the, the offspring of the colonial chiefs uh, in Kenya. I don't know whether that's the same case in Togo. And very similar, absolutely. And and these are the people who now consolidated capital and then political power around them, and they've they've maintained. Uh, these ethnic blocks, they, they perpetuate patronage, although it's all fake because um, 
uh, for example, I come from an ethnic group called the Kikuyu, um, which has been in power for most of the, you know, for the longest in Kenya. Um, and they were always, they're always talking about how having a Kikuyu president benefits ordinary Kikuyus. I can tell you it doesn't. It just benefits a few families here and there. And when when the people, the elite, uh, the what you call the corporate elite, uh, engaging in the activities, there's no ethnicity among them. Uh, only during the when they are playing politics, so their kids go to the same schools, they intermarry, you know, they live in the same neighborhoods, they go to universities abroad, um, that kind of thing. But uh, when it comes to ethnic, every five years when there's uh, elections, then there's ethnic mobilization. So how do you overcome it? So to 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 overcome this, we must organize outside these sectarian interests, you know. We must organize around genuine interests, whether it's uh, natural resources, whether it's um, um, you know economic uh, activity livelihoods. And to do this, because uh, our people are used to the ethnic mobilization, then you must do massive political education across Africa. Now, not I've used the word political education, not civic education, which is okay, but civic education does not activate the people uh, to look after their interests or to connect the politics with their situation, whether they are poor, whether they can afford food, whether they can afford housing and schooling and, uh, you know, health care for their kids. And then we must build uh, successful institutions that are not ethnically led. So what happens in Kenya right now is that you find a government comes and then tries to subdivide government institutions among the ethnicities that supported that government. So you find someone from this community heading this institution, and then they will try and employ people from that community. And so you have uh, institutions as cash cows for communities, and and uh, and and they are looted left, right, center. You know. So um, yes, the the 2010 constitution in Kenya attempted to. Uh, create institutions that were above, um, you know, this kind of ethnicity. But they were very soon. They were very. They were populated. They were taken over by the ethnic barons. So we must again keep attempting to build institutions that are beyond uh, ethnicity. My third guest is Bakari Sambe, the director of the Timbuktu Institute which specializes in radicalization and religious conflict in the Sahel region. He is Malian, but works in Dakar. Our journalist Musa Ngom in Senegal spoke to him. In the crisis in the Sahel, one often hears about ethnic conflict, be it in Mali or Burkina Faso. Can these power struggles between ethnic groups influence politics? One must use the terms ethnicity or ethnic tension very carefully. I think that in the Sahel conflict, it's principally a result of the failure of the security strategies that were implemented. In Mali and Burkina Faso, the state was faced with the withdrawal of security forces and faced with the failure and disintegration of the security system. They were obliged to put themselves in the hands of defence groups or militias who were ordered to fight terrorists, and those terrorists could be Pearl. You see that it straight away creates a focus on an ethnic group, when problems weren't about ethnicity, but about structural problems. They are linked to conflicts around resources, conflicts between herders and farmers, conflicts between nomads and settlers. These conflicts have existed for a long time, and the post-colonial state has not been able to manage them. 
Now, it's true that multi-party democracy since the 1990s till now, as well as the explosion of conflict in border zones, did lead to ethnicity taking a greater role in the public space. But it's not ethnicity which is the problem. It is the manipulation of the ethnic fabric by politicians, as well as the media and many others. Is there any way we can stop these attempts to manipulate people? I think it's about civic education, so people feel that they belong to a nation, that they belong to a country that protects them and fulfills their vital needs and provides basic social services. But when you abandon people in border areas and in deserted zones where the only state presence is a repressive one, that is to say, the gendarmerie or the police or customs officials, then you are in the process of creating islands where there is little sense of national identity. These islands can be exploited by groups that would like to take charge there, like the terrorist groups in, we saw in Mali. These groups take advantage of the weak capacity of the state to provide social and economic inclusion. They take advantage of the frustrations and grievances of abandoned populations. These groups exploit this rejection of the state and the rejection of state structures. I think that today, in addition to approaching these problems which exist in our countries from a purely military and security perspective, we also need to think about a holistic approach. This consists, first of all, of supplying services that these populations need. These populations will become more attached to the national state because it is supplying the social services they need. Citizenship and a unifying education system that acts as a type of political socialization will also ensure that people feel more attached to the state. We're not looking for simple answers on this podcast. We believe Africa's potential is limitless, but we have to be realistic. The challenges we face are considerable. Ethnic groups are not going to go away, nor should they. They are a source of pride and belonging and a part of African culture. But that doesn't mean we Africans should let our politicians take advantage of ethnic tensions to divide and rule. I've said it and I'll say it again. United we stand, divided we fall. So let's look beyond where we've come from and let's look towards where we're going. Thanks for listening. To find out more, visit www.trueafrica.co slash limitless or follow True Africa on Facebook and Twitter. Tell us what you think using the hashtag LimitlessAfrica. You've been listening to Limitless. I'm Claude Grunitsky. The Limitless podcast is a production of True Africa. This podcast is made possible with a grant from the U.S. Department of State and the Scenefire Foundation.